0: Crystal, thank you so much for being with us. This is a great opportunity for all of us here. And you have played such an incredible role in terms of how we look at data today. Your, again, I've told people you know, they should really look at your bio on the program, on the CNS Summit bio, and certainly LinkedIn profile. But your, your career has been a bit of an evolution. Um, in terms of the work that you've been doing, certainly recently at DataVent, but mm-hmm. before that with FDA, Johnson & Johnson, Takeda, um, you, you have this magnificent pattern recognition skill of looking at data and connecting it in ways we never imagined possible. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I want to step back in a time of your life because I, I realize that often we're in this room, where we're certainly enchanted with people's bios, but but we sometimes don't get a chance to look at their lives. Um, it was quite some time ago, and I, I know it's something that you're, you talk about, you revisit, but you're also a cancer survivor. Yes. What, can, you, can you reflect back in terms sure. of someone who looks at data yeah. the day before you went for a diagnosis yeah. and the day after? It's the worst possible thing, right? Because
1: you're a data guy. And so, you know, I was 38, and going through uh, treatment for stage three renal cancer. And you're on the couch because that's where you end up. And you run the numbers. And I'm sitting there, my daughter was 30 months old. And I'm like, okay, so I have a 26% chance of seeing her make third grade. Because you're a data person and you're dumb enough to think that way. Um, and then within a week, you're no longer thinking that way because you would not be you know, capable if you did. So you, you move on from it and you just kind of go in to... What's the right thing to do? Who's the right person to see? And whatever. The other thing that occurred to me, and that's informed me since then, is that I felt like I was very privileged. I worked at Johnson & Johnson. I was a scientist. I knew all these great cancer doctors. My mom didn't have that. And most people don't have that. So I do think a lot about underserved populations and how, how does the average person deal with that? They don't understand the language. They oh, don't really. understand the data.
0: So, so I'm curious, you, how did you see data because that's your area of expertise. You're called upon yeah. as an executive, whether it have been our government, as a, one of, I think yeah. you were one of the first chief technology officers in, in FDA. How did you? How do you see data today, as opposed to data when you were at J and J? I mean, you, you've had all these experiences, including being a person within the system. Yeah. So, is I, your is is your view changed?
1: It's changed a lot. I mean, I, I think that I think of data the way I think of medicines now. In a way, I think of benefit and risk. I think that there's a tremendous amount of good that can be done with the data, sharing data, using data, exploiting data. And there's so many new ways to measure data now, right? We've got spyware on our wrists that are are, are just working all the time. Should we take these off now on our phone, right? And I do a lot with cybersecurity, so I would probably say yes. But um, so there's a lot of data about you. And then there's – but if you think about it, clinical trials haven't changed much Mm -hmm. in that much time. The way we think about math – I love, uh, love biostatisticians. I'm a polymath myself, but the way we think about math and biology hasn't changed since the best computer we had was a slide rule. And I think there are opportunities there to think differently. When you're measuring heart rate 15 times a second, if you're not measuring heart rate, you're probably measuring something different. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I, I do think that things like privacy and all that are very important and are under great threat right now.
0: So let's put privacy aside because there's a lot of conversation on that. Sure. I just want to ask you a really quick question. Um, you, you talked about, you know, we both have watches. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if I said who has one of these. Right. 60, 70% of the, of yeah. the room's hands go up. Um, what do you think about who owns what? I mean, how do you think about your owning Eric's data? I
1: mean, so I, I believe it's, it's a great question. I was on a panel at New York Academy last week on this with a lot of experts that will say it better than I will. But it's actually quite complex. I believe patients should control their data. And I think I would use the word own. But the word own also, you know, we think of home ownership and car ownership, and there's a lot of liability that comes with that right. as well. So I know that own is actually the best word. The other thing that's really complex here is that I also think it's a lot of it's somewhat false. You know, HIPAA covet entities are accountable for what they do, but Macy's isn't. And the ad tech world isn't. And so the actual data that's out there about us, that's that's our our two percent is our medical record, the 98% is everything else, yeah. and potentially more good or bad about you is out there.
0: So I have to say, with the FDA experience, the c- could you share a little bit about what was going on in your role? Because you were yeah. you were a pioneer there. This was not this was think- a real game-changing moment for FDA when you got there.
1: I think I think the big thing that we did there was really, to your introduction, bring up the importance of data and really thinking about data differently, right? The FDA is a, is a beautiful and complex place because it's very difficult to be really good at consumer protection and be really good at healthcare. And those missions can actually be in opposition. Data is one of the ways that you can try to solve that, that issue and really understand the benefit risk of different of different interventions. I've never been any place where the fights were more energetic and both sides were 100% right, <laughs> As when, you, when you're looking at complex things like Plan B or something like yeah. that, extremely complex. So I think you really have to then look at the data to say, does data give us a path here? Is, is that a question we don't think we can answer answerable? And if it is, how? And, and then moved to that. So OpenFDA.gov um, was started, after I left, it was started earlier by Todd Park at HHS with OpenHHS.gov. So this idea of data being more open, um, my uh, bosses at J&J were pioneers in that. They, back in the early 2000s, they were saying, look, we're going to have to make all this public anyway, so go ahead. And in 2007, 2008, uh, Euros Van Dam and I and others were putting j data on the cloud. And there's lots of pharma companies that haven't done that today wow. or haven't shared data. So
0: that leads me to, to wonder, you know, we- we hear the the jargon around artificial intelligence and big data. Yeah. They're wonderful, wonderful buzzwords that that people may or may not understand. Mm-hmm. When you're thinking about the concept of big data, um, what do we need to do as as innovators, as people who are passionate about this space, to help people understand a what is big data, mm-hmm. and next how to really leverage big data to to invent medicines that can change people's lives? In my experience, the the people that do this the best, frankly, are still
1: the ones that have the best ideas. I think you you can always take a problem and feed, feed it to a machine, and the machine can throw out answers. Um, if that's all you're doing, then you're going to get a lot of crazy ideas. But if you've got ideas, if you've got hypothesis, you've got an itch, if you've got that scientific itch or that clinical itch, chase it down. And those tools can be extraordinarily complementary and helpful to you as a way to very quickly do it. You know, we know that right now we should be able to pull together cohorts of tens of millions of patients almost automatically because it's digital. But we can, right. for, mostly for sociological reasons at this point. And we're right on the edge of that, though. The technology to do it's there. The questions are there. We just have to kind of push through that next social So this social kind of leads to,
0: to, to something we were talking about backstage before we both came out <clears throat> that I thought was kind of a revolutionary concept, and I wanted you to bring it up again. You talked about inventing, mm-hmm. inventing drugs, using data to invent drugs. And you talked about doing that in the context of our economic system. Yeah. I don't know if you remember. Yes, but- I do. Yeah. Do you mind sharing this? So, I, you
1: know, when I, I do a lot with technology and I do a lot with medicines. And one of the things I like to advise people is that imagine you are in a single payer world. And I'm not saying this as a political statement. I'm saying this is an economic statement. What would we do if, if, if treatments and technologies were only selected based on their efficacy? Now, politically, we've seen countries that do this. And there's a lot of people want to criticize this or this because of the sociology and how it weaves in. But in general, from the standpoint of efficacy. When you've got hundreds of technologies available, it's very difficult to pull things together. But if, you're, if you've got the master patient ID for all of the country and you're finding you only need two or three technologies to do that. So I think if you think, like, if you think of economic um, competition as potentially something that complicates the situation and think like a single payer, I think that you can actually cut to solutions better. You won't do treatments that you prove aren't effective. You won't run diagnostic tests. Paper performance or pay for procedure, excuse me, would change greatly if one group was paying for. It.
0: That's a pretty radical, a radical yeah, thought. Probably. No, so so we have in the our attendees, our community here. We have people who are from um, you know, large pharma. Mm-hmm. We have people from what they call value-based pharma. We have entrepreneurs. We have people using, you know, inventing devices that can change the future of healthcare. Data is connecting them all. Um, Could you share, pretend you were putting on a wizard's hat here for a moment, Mm -hmm. and say what, from your perspective of of really also just coming out of a very entrepreneurial situation Mm -hmm. um, that you've been part of, (laughs) what words of counsel would you have for the people in this room that you'd say, if you take away two things from your experience, my experience, Mm -hmm. one and two, what two things would you tell them to say, look, my experience, my vision, tell me you should, yeah. what would that be?
1: So one, a little bit more on the kind of disruptive side would be if you're solving a problem that's important enough, people care less about how you do it. You know, so if you really have to disrupt an organization, you have to really have to rethink, if the problem is big enough and value high value enough, you'll be able to do it. People will care less about why. I think that's the first thing. The second thing I always tell people, especially when it comes to data, is play the Kevin Bacon game with patients. If you, if you find anything you're thinking about doing being two, three, four, five steps from helping a patient, you're actually sliding down the value chain and you want to bring it back and say, I want to be with them. anything I do today. I want to be one, two, or three hops from knowing that it's benefiting a patient. And then at least I'm doing it for some of the right reasons.
0: Well, wow. Eric, I want to thank you so much for being with us. today. great, great counsel. And uh, you're just just like a magnificent guy. I hope people have a, really an opportunity to spend time with you today. Great. Thanks Thank so you much. so much. Thanks for joining me on the CNS Summit podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player, and stay tuned for more conversations with leaders from the CNS Summit. I'd love to see you at our next summit. So visit CNS to find out more.